0: appreciate Rocky filling in and doing the song leading. In my estimation, that's the hardest job in the building. So we're thankful that he's able to jump up here and help out with that. Yesterday, Nicole and Cameron Blakely and I, we went over to uh, Dunlap, Tennessee to Wheeler Orchard and to pick some apples. Well, on the way there, you start headed up the mountain and it's just forever and we got pretty close to the to the point where we needed to make a turn, and so we made a turn, and I pointed out to the driver that the sign said a mile on down the road. And so we turned around and got back up to the the road that we turned off of, only to find out that it was a mile down the road, but it was a mile down the road we'd turned on to. So we had to turn back around again and head back in the right direction. Uh now what I learned there is There are a whole lot of roads out there, but there's usually only one road that takes you where you want to go. And so we could have kept going. That was a legal highway. We could have traveled down that road, but we would have never made it to Wheeler Orchard, at least not within the next year or two. You know, there are almost four million miles of roadway in this nation. Isn't that something? Four million miles of highways and byways and old back roads and things like that. and uh But there are a whole lot of roads on which we travel in this life that are not made for vehicles. There are a lot of roads in this life that we're going to travel down. We have to make a choice to travel down them. And of course, that's the the ways in which we live in this life. We have to make a decision where we want to go, how we want to get there. Do we want to be the kind of people that God wants us to be in the The title of the sermon this evening is Finding the Right Road. Again, there are a lot of roads. But normally, even when we're traveling, there's usually one road that gets us where we want to go. Now, we may be able to come around the back way or something, and it'd be ten times longer than than, uh, the correct road. But normally, if we're going somewhere, there's usually one way to go that's uh, the better way. Now, in His wisdom... Solomon addressed for us the roads of life in a general sense. If you will, turn with me to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4. From the passage in Proverbs, we're going to take the sermon this evening. We're going to begin with verse 14. Proverbs 4, beginning with verse 14. Solomon said, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. He's pretty adamant about that, isn't he? He doesn't just say, avoid it. He says, avoid it. Don't even pass by it. And if you do, turn away from it. For they sleep not except they have done mischief. They won't even go to sleep at night unless they've done something wrong. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. And if they happen to go to sleep tonight... And they haven't caused someone a problem or someone to fall. They don't sleep very well. He goes on to say, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As we consider finding the right road tonight, I want us to examine some of the other roads so we'll know what we're seeing when we come upon them. There's nothing like seeing a road mark, to tell you where you are in life. And sometimes we need to look at the marks on the roads and understand that's not the road on which we ought to go. I want us to notice first the road of distraction. There's a lot of distraction in the world, and it is there for a reason. Now John issued a warning to, the, to his readers about allowing the distractions of this life to interfere with our spiritual lives and the ultimate destination we want to attain. Notice what he said in 1 John 2, verse 15. He said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Of course, let's think about those who he had previously been addressing. Because it's all connected, isn't it? He previously addressed the children, the fathers, the young men. Now, they had been very successful in living the way God wanted them to live and fulfilling the respected roles in which they found themselves. But where did they still live? They still lived in the world. And the temptations of the world were still very present and still very dangerous. So John exhorted them to pay attention. He wanted them to persevere. He wanted them to maintain the position in which they were. And so he gave this additional warning. Now, he wasn't talking about the material universe, was he? He wasn't talking about the physical things. He was talking about the things this world offered that would distract people of the world from doing what God wants. So, in other words, he was telling them, and by extension, us, don't be distracted by the things going on around us. Don't allow that to interfere with our main goal. Now, we see people throughout... The Bible, we see people throughout the New Testament who walked along the roads of distraction, don't we? One that came to my mind as I was considering this was, is found in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, let's notice beginning with verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. This is right after the Lord had been murdered. It's right after He had been put in the tomb, and it's after He had come out of the grave. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding, and they should not know Him. I think sometimes it is difficult to see the forest because all the trees get in the way. And so they were being distracted by the accounts of what had happened to Jesus, the things that were going on. They had believed in Him. He was taken from them. Their faith might have wavered a little bit as this was going on, so they became distracted. And the very one they wanted to serve was standing right within their sight, and they couldn't see Him. See, that's called distraction, isn't it? And I think distraction can blind people to the realities of the relationship they share with God. People can be distracted to the point where they believe, I'm in a good relationship with God, I'm doing the things I ought to do, but the distractions of the world prevent them from seeing the forest because of the trees, and they may not be in a relationship with God as they should. So we see these people, they believed in Jesus, but all the events that were happening had distracted them and the very person in whom they believed was with them and they didn't even know it. Let's notice Judas. Wasn't Judas so distracted that he allowed his covetousness and his greed to prevent him from seeing the wonderful relationship that he had with the Lord? The opportunities that he had? Can you imagine if he had remained faithful or or even if he had betrayed God? And sent Jesus to the to the cross through his dealings with the Jewish leaders. Wouldn't it have been an amazing comeback story if that man had repented and he had stood on Pentecost preaching the Word of God? John was warning his readers in the hope that they could avoid wickedness. That they could avoid being distracted from the things found in this world. Because if you're looking for trouble, it's not hard to find, is it? Well, John explained how Satan distracts people, and he does it through wickedness. Notice what he said in 1 John 2, beginning with verse 16. He said, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we see Satan using distraction. We see him... Uh, John giving a warning about that distraction and then talking about that wickedness through which Satan can distract us. The sinful things of this world do not originate in God. He didn't create anything sinful. He did not create Satan as a sinful being. But he gave the opportunity to choose. And so because Satan chose wrongly, he allowed or he brought sin into this world. He designated these sins in three categories, didn't He? He talked about the lust of the flesh. This is the lust after the flesh, is, is uh, uh, in essence what this is. John is not referring to our outer coverings. He's not talking about the, the physical part of us. He's talking about feeding the physical appetite filled through carnal means. The flesh exhibits themselves, or sin exhibits themselves through the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.19. He talked about the lust of the eyes, those desires that are awakened as uh, uh, we look on things, objects of sight. He warned against the pride of life. Solomon would have called those things vanity. He would have called them pride and worldly honor, wouldn't he? So those are the three ways that Satan uses to distract us with his wickedness. Only three. We've been told what they are, but boy, he uses them well, doesn't he? Because of his technique, from the, almost the beginning of time, Satan distracted the first couple. He caused them to lose their position with God, and through their uh, being a, uh, allowing themselves to be distracted, they lost life physically, and they were separated spiritually. From God I often think about that relationship that they had in the beginning in the garden that wonderful communication that they could uh, commune with God as it were face to face he would his presence would come into the to the garden and speak and communicate with them and they lost all of that and Isaiah tells us why that happens Isaiah 59 1 and 2 he says of course I'm paraphrasing it's not that God can't hear you it's not that he's unable to help you It's that your sins have separated you from Him. And that's what Adam and Eve did, but they did it because Satan distracted them and allowed they allowed themselves to go down that road of distraction. But Satan doesn't just use distraction, does he? He's just as happy if we were to walk down the road of distortion. When we think about something being distorted, we don't see it properly, do we? Have you ever been in a fun house, maybe gone to the carnival? And you go into the fun house and it has the mirrors, and if you're very tall, maybe all of a sudden you look very short, or very tall if you're not, or very wide, or very thin, or maybe you're irregularly shaped, or or whatever. It's distortion, isn't it? And that's what Satan uses. He uses distortion as a technique. Now, this is the road that the willful walk on. The willful walk on this road of distortion. We read about Saul of Tarsus, don't we? He's going down to Damascus. He's going down to uh, capture Christians, to throw them in jail. Now notice what Luke wrote, Acts 9, beginning verse 1. Luke said, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, talking about Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Saul was traveling down the road of distortion because he was willful. Do you think he knew what the law talked about? Saul was an expert in the law. But he wasn't the only one, the Jewish leaders, they were experts in the law. They knew what the prophecies were. They had seen what Jesus did, but they distorted God's message. That happens today. There are people all over the world distorting God's message because they're willful. That kind of of reminds me of the modern-day faith healer, the people who claim to be able to cure uh, someone's ailment through uh, miraculous means. Have you ever noticed that about the only thing they can cure is a headache or back pain? Nothing that you can see, right? Nothing that you can see. I'm not diminishing headaches or back pain. I have both from time to time. But you can't see them. Have you ever noticed they've never gone to the graveyard and raised someone from the dead? They've never taken someone who had uh, a missing limb and restored that limb? They've never taken someone who was blind and never seen from birth and, and restored the eyesight or taken someone who could not hear and gave them... Uh, the ability to hear again, something that's concrete that you can see, they can't do that. But they will tell you they can because they distort the message of God and they go back to certain passages in the Bible that talk about the miraculous. And I believe in miracles. I believe in the miracles that we read about in the Bible. But I also believe and understand that no longer happens according to 1 Corinthians 13. But they will distort that message. Later, after Saul was converted... He became the Apostle Paul. He warned Timothy about the willful, didn't he? Second Timothy 4, verse 3, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. First John 4, verse 1, John warned the brethren, Don't believe all the spirits, don't believe every person, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Paul had to defend his faith against, or his apostleship against false apostles, didn't he? We read about that in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Of course, we understand too, during Jesus' ministry, many of the chief priests, they believed on Him, but they would not confess Him because they feared being cast out of the synagogues by the Pharisees. They were afraid of those who were distorting the message, and they were distorting the message because they wanted to have... The, the the good seats in the synagogue. Saul was killing the faithful because he refused to listen to God. He refused to listen to what God had to say. And he not only distorted the message of God, he distorted himself, didn't he? He was willful, but he was willingly willful and ignorant of what God's message was. And he was sincere, wasn't he? He was sincere. He had convinced himself that he was right. Have you noticed that people can do that? We can convince ourselves of something if we continually tell us, tell ourselves that something is a certain way. We need to be careful about that, right? Distortion is a technique used by governments. When there's wartime and they want to undermine the opposing force, we more often than not, know that as propaganda. They will put out propaganda or a distorted message to try to undermine the uh, the enemy. Notice what uh, Paul told the Sanhedrin council. He had so distorted himself that he was sincere in how he lived. He was killing Christians, but he told the Sanhedrin council, Acts 23 verse 1, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He had never violated his conscience. But he was still murdering members of the church of Christ. I think we have a lot of people walking on the road of distortion in this world. They've convinced themselves that what they've heard and how they live is the correct way. I want us to know also though, fortunately for us, there are a whole lot of roads out there. But there is the one road we can walk down that leads us in the right direction. This is our third and last point. The right direction is the road on which the willing will travel. We read about a person who was willing to listen. We read about him in Acts chapter 8, beginning of verse 26. Luke recorded... And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. This man not only loved God, He was not only faithful to the religion which he practiced, he was a practicing Jew, remember. He had been up to Pentecost to observe the Passover. But not only was he all those things, and those are commendable traits, he was also willing to listen to Philip, who taught him the way, much like Aquila and Priscilla did Apollos, the way of the Lord more perfectly. And so he got up in the chariot with him and... Because of the eunuch's honest heart, Philip began at that same scripture of Isaiah 51, and he taught him about Jesus. And the eunuch listened. Why? Because he was willing. He was willing to hear the truth. And it's difficult for people to be willing to hear when they've been wrong in some aspect, isn't it? That's difficult. I think that that's kind of the practice of humans. We've gotten used to being that way. No one wants to be wrong. And so it's hard for us to open our hearts and listen when we are wrong. But Philip, verse 35, taught him about Jesus from that same Scripture. What was the difference between the eunuch and and Saul, Paul, prior to his conversion? Saul wasn't willing to listen, was he? Do you think he heard the Gospel? He heard one of the greatest sermons in Acts 7 recorded that has ever been spoken. Stephen preached that sermon. He went back and talked about the whole history of Israel, how they were stiff-necked, how they killed the prophets, how they never were obedient to God as they should have been. And right after he finished that sermon, Saul held the coats of those men and consented to the death of Stephen. That sermon fell on deaf ears. That's the difference between Saul of Tarsus and the eunuch. The eunuch was willing. He listened, he heard, and he wanted to know the truth. That reminds me of the Bereans. One of the greatest examples of people who wanted to know the truth and they wanted to search it out because they weren't going to take someone's word for it, and God blessed them for that. Their preacher was was Paul. Paul preached, but they still wanted to search the Scriptures daily to make sure what they were being told was true, Acts 17, verse 11. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to search out. He wants us to be willing. But after we obey the gospel and we accept that, He wants us also to never waver. We have to stand in there. We have to be be strong and firm, right? I think sometimes we believe we've got it bad in this life. Christians are mistreated, and they are in a lot of parts of the world. But we need to turn over to the Revelation. We need to read a little bit about what Domitian, the king of the uh, of Rome... Uh, did to Christians. If you weren't going to uh, proclaim Him God, He'd just kill you. And if that didn't bother you, before He killed you, He'd drag your children out and threaten their lives. You better proclaim Him as the God of heaven, the God of all things, or you would lose your life. Now, even though that was a part of life that was going on, do you know what Christ still expected? We read about it in Revelation 2, verse 10. The Lord said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of righteousness. God expects no less today. We are to never waver in our faith. We are to be the examples that God wants. He wants us to investigate the truth. He wants us to be willing to listen to what the Bible says and to examine ourselves Paul said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. He says, you know whether or not you're in the faith. Put our lives up against the canon of the Bible, the standard by which God will judge us all. And we can determine if we're doing what He wants. I think there are a lot of different roads in this life. I think we can find ourselves at times on roads where we don't really want to be. But we need to be able to find our way off of those roads. There is a road that will lead us in the right direction toward God, toward eternal life, toward the beauty and the splendor of heaven and a life of eternity and the blessings that we receive for the faithful. We each must choose that road and choose all roads down which we may travel. It may be a secular road, but if we don't behave in the proper way, that makes it the wrong road, right? Right? But we certainly want to go down the correct road spiritually. We want that road to be the right road that takes us to God. And we can't find that road outside of the Bible. It's like having a road map, but not paying attention to it, right? It's like going to the apple orchard and someone telling you you need to keep going straight when all along you should have turned right. And then you have to turn around and go back. See, we have the, we have the road map. So let's choose today which road we want to go down. We understand the the plan of salvation. I look out over the crowd. I think we're all Christians here. We understand we need to be able to repeat that to other people. We need to explain to them the the works of God that He requires to be saved. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. We need to be able to go to the Bible and point that out. We need to give them a book, chapter, and verse, and we can write those in the back of our Bibles. They're pretty simple to, to memorize But we need to be able to tell people that. But we need to understand sometimes in this life we get off the road. We need to get back on the road. The road that goes in the right direction. We do that through repentance, confession of sin. Sometimes we have to do that publicly. Either way, if you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.